0: Good morning. Welcome to Everything Cooperative this morning. This is Vernon Oaks, your host. And we have Mr. Jim Joseph on the line. And we're going to explore the question, Is did did Mr. Mandela, the president of South Africa, use the concept of U-B-U-N-T to be able to work with the South Africans that had put him in prison to use this concept of Ubuntu to bring the country together to work cooperatively and not have civil war. And Mr. Jim Joseph is on the phone. Good morning, Jim. Good
1: morning, Brendan. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. Very well.
0: Uh, can you tell us what the definition of Ubuntu is?
1: Well, it's a concept of community uh, that emphasizes the interconnectedness of our humanity.
0: Short memory of hey, that's wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got to be the U.S. ambassador of South Africa? I understand you you re- you were
1: reared in Louisiana. Yeah, well, uh, let's 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 clarify. It was the United States ambassador to South Africa, uh, not of South Africa. I I was such an advocate for South Africa that some people may have gotten confused. But my appointment was actually (laughs) the United States ambassador to South Africa. Uh, I I was appointed by President Clinton and I served uh, for four years, Uh, three of those years. Uh, was at the time that Nelson Mandela was president. Now, uh, you asked the question of uh, how I got to be an ambassador. I had uh, been involved with the issues of South Africa for most of my adult life and even visited South Africa in 1974 as an anti apartheid activist. I had been very involved in the... uh, the movement against the uh, anti-parteid movement in the United States. And so I was very familiar with the issues. But even beyond that, uh, this was a new democracy.
0: And I had been involved in all
1: three sectors of our democracy. Did you know Pinocchio Uh, was a bad motivational speaker? You have potential! So I brought with me the experience of democracy, not just in government, but in all three sectors.
0: When you talk about civil society, um, can you explain what that is? I got the public sector.
1: You, you yeah, work, and uh, the civil sector. society. Let me, let me just clarify the distinction then. Uh, the private sector, you might say, is driven by the market. Uh, the public sector is driven by ballots. Uh, the third or so-called... Uh, Independent sector is driven by volunteerism and the work of nonprofit organizations that seek to serve a public good.
0: How did you end up out of Louisiana and, and doing all
1: of this? Were you were you well, born into a, were you uh, born into wealth? Uh, a long road. <laughs> uh, absolutely, no. <laughs> okay. uh, I was born in a very low end community in uh, Cajun country in Louisiana. Uh, my father was a local minister and uh, we were not always sure whether he was going to earn enough for us to be able to have bread on the table every day. Uh, that's the kind of background. It was a low-income community in rural Louisiana. Uh, and uh, my, my life
0: you to uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your background is is what gives you the the, the knowledge to talk about this concept this philosophy of ubuntu or or, or and or Mandela's role in it um, but the other thing is I'm just so proud to know you um, um, from that humble background to everything that you've been able to do
1: in life well let me let me just add since you uh, talk about Mr. Mandela. uh, I've also, I was ambassador during the 90s when Mr. Mandela was was president, but I have been living full or part-time in South Africa for the last 18 years. And so I have uh, been jointly uh, serving as a professor at Duke University's School of Public Policy and the Graduate School of Business at the University of Cape Town. And I've also been running a leadership training program for Southern African leaders and leaders uh, from communities of color in the United States. And so my involvement with that country goes back to my first trip as an anti-apartheid activist in 1974. And and what was your
0: activity with the civil rights movement here in the U.S.?
1: Uh, I was... uh, one of the org- organizers and founders and later uh, one of the chairs of the civil rights movement in Tuscaloosa, Alabama.
0: Tuscaloosa. Okay, <laughs> I like that word. <laughs> Jim, it's, it's amazing that you, you've you been able to do so much. And when I talk to middle school students and high school students, I, I, I talk about the transition from, in your case, um, Southern Louisiana don't have enough money sometimes to put food on the table. To vice president of corporations, ambassador to the U.S., and it's like that preparation. It's 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 what happens between that time on in Louisiana to being in South Africa or being in corporate boardrooms. And it sounds like the preparation was undergraduate and in graduate school. Is there any any other Preparation for those kinds of positions?
1: Well, I, I, I suspect that all of the things I have done uh, led from one experience to another. And uh, the, the preparation was not just in the academic community. It was in the uh, organizations that uh, shaped my values and the uh, and socialized me in many ways, and that certainly would include the the church. And that would include, uh, at least in the time in which I live, uh, my neighbors and friends, uh, uh, all of whom influenced me. But the influence goes back to my high school days, uh, when my professors, uh, my teachers at that time, were interested in the whole person. Not just the particular academic discipline they taught, but in developing the individual as a whole person. And so, I, I think you could say that uh, one one experience led another, led to another. So, from high school to college to university to social activism uh, to business uh, to government and to civil society. Mm-hmm.
0: Congratulations. Life well lived. Um, I want to go back to Ubuntu again. Do you, do you have a sense of how it got started?
1: Well, it's, um, it's an ancient concept in Southern Africa, but it has only in recent years caught the attention of scholars who are concerned about uh, social cohesion Or activists who are concerned about the obligations of citizenship. Uh, When I was living in South Africa I I became curious about the genesis of the concept and what had been written about it and so I went into the library in the university where I was teaching to do some research on the concept and the first uh, sort of South African analytical source, uh, that I could find, uh, really the reference to the term in the m- mid 19th century. Now it was so infused into the life of the culture that, well, people practice it in much earlier time. Uh, they did not speak or write about it until much later. It was a way of being, which everybody understood, but there wasn't much r- written about it. Uh, The concept was not popularized as a world view until the 1950s, I think. Uh, The first uh, references that I could find of a popular nature were articles in the African Drum, which was a magazine in South Africa, a black magazine. And in the 1950s, there were a number of articles written that contrasted the Africana pluralism that emphasized divisions.
0: Right, Jim, we're going to have to take a break.
1: So okay.
0: could you hold right. on to that? And Let when we, we get continue. back, we're going to talk about this. Genesis will pick up there. And then I would want to go into uh, some of the, the Christian pieces of this. So if you could hold on, we'll be right back. All right. Please don't touch that dial. This is Vernon Oaks talking to you about everything cooperatives. Uh, cooperatives are businesses. Any kind of business can be a co-op. We normally in America think about the capitalistic model of shareholders. But co-ops are they are business if they are owned by the people that work in the business, the employees, it's called a worker co-op. And if it's owned by the people that use the products or the services, it's called a consumer co-op. And so what we're at the heart of a co-op is community and cooperation between the people that that work in or that business or buy the the products from the business. And so we have Mr. Jim Joseph today talking uh, to us about Ubuntu, which is a philosophy in Southern Africa. It's a way of being is how he's described it. And he was telling us before we took break, about some of the research that he was doing uh, when he lived and worked in South Africa as a U.S. ambassador to South Africa. And he was telling us about some articles that he would read in The African Drum, a South African newspaper. Jim, could you continue the conversation?
1: Yeah, The African Drum was a black magazine published in the old days of apartheid, by the black community. Uh, let, let me just want to add a couple of other things to the history we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it was probably in the 1970s 70s, that Ubuntu began to be seen more broadly as a uh, specific kind of humanism to be found in black Afri- Africans, but something that was absent from white Africans uh, who populated a very separate and exploitive space. In a, in a 1999 book, uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu wrote that it was uh, the self-assurance that come from knowing that one belongs to a greater whole. Uh, the, the term even appears in the South African Constitution as it asserts a new kind of citizenship, the idea that the country belongs to all who live in it. And I think that's a sort of good grounding to try to understand the role of of cooperation and the importance of being a seen as not just an individual uh, who has individual initiatives, but also a part of something bigger than oneself. And you said you want to talk about it in the Bible and its importance. To, to note that even in. was on the fact that the injured Which means joint participation, sharing teamwork, and communion Christian uh, calls it Christians call it uh which in a spiritual sense highlights a higher purpose or mission that benefits the greatest good of the members as a whole uh, the another way and another place that one finds uh, this notion of community and in the new testament is in the writings of the apostle paul uh, in which uh, uh, he also talks about the notion of of and it's expressed uh, not just as a place or state of being but as one which transcends race gender or ethnicity uh, as uh, those familiar with the New Testament will remember, uh, he made a distinction between either, said there was no distinction to be made between either male or female, uh, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, or, or the many other hyphens uh, we use to identify ourselves. And so this, this notion of joint participation, this notion of belonging to each other, that we talked about in Ubuntu is clearly also in the Christian community and certainly the the biblical texts.
0: You know, um, it's amazing that it seemed like in America, at least my growing up was with the Lone Ranger and John Wayne on TV, and it was always I pulled myself up by the bootstraps. I did this on my own. And that seems to be, uh, at at least in the business school, uh, getting the MBA it was like uh you you go out there and you work on your own and you strive and you get it and you, you do it on your own. That's so different from um this concept of Ubuntu or corn cornania. Yes. And, and and so how how do you think that this came about? And you said that the white South Africans had a different concept. Did they have the same concept of individualism or
1: well they had a a a strong sense of uh, individualism, uh, and of course they were united as an Africana community, but that focus on humanity was a focus on humanity in its many categories, and so the focus was on the vision of humanity, while the, the black Africans were focusing on the interconnectedness of, of humanity. Uh, so that uh, that's, that's found a, a sort of clash of concepts of community, and that is why the notion uh, of reconciliation and forgiveness, which became a part of the tradition of Ubuntu, uh, was so critical in the negotiation of a new democracy.
0: Reconciliation and forgiveness—that um, seems to be hard for a lot of people to do.
1: Forgive. Well, I think it's one of the contributions that Nelson Mandela made to the public discourse about community, as well as the private reality. Uh, I, I, I try to understand what was the source of this, this notion of forgiveness and this focus on reconciliation, and I sort of had to go back to Ubuntu, uh, because... It, it placed a high premium on, on dignity or compassion and and respect for the humanity of another uh, and you had it contrast it with vengeance the mm-hmm. emphasis was on restorative justice rather than distributive justice and uh, it uh, it focused and favored civility and civilized dialogue uh, premised on mutual tolerance and uh, The negotiations that took place to develop the democracy were not uh, around just contested ideas about what it means to be a democracy, but contrasting ideas about what it means to be a national community. And uh, the emphasis by those uh, steeped in Ubuntu uh, was not on simply uh, the kind of things that I should do for myself, but my obligations to the community. And that is what is important to remember about that concept of community as it was infused into the public life of the nation.
0: Well, one of the reasons I really have become passionate about this cooperative business model is because that's what's embedded in it. This do, it's not doing for self obligation to the community. And so decisions, uh, Jim, I've been doing property management, so I started managing co-op, housing co-ops, and this is how I even found out about this concept. And when when we're in a boardroom, the decisions are made on what's best for the community, not what's best for an individual. And those co-ops that I've seen, housing co-ops that have failed, take on this what's best for the individual. And too often that's no integrity with the bylaws of the co-op, and sometimes fraudulent behavior and stuff. But it's those are the ones that end up failing. But the ones that succeed, which most do, it's because they're deciding what is best for the the group, what's best for the community, what's best for the the total group, not for any individual. And that's the passion that I have for this this business model over. The capitalistic model says I get in it and I see what's best for me. I get return on my investment. That's the total focus, not the total, but too often that is the majority focus, which leads toward greed for the individual uh, as opposed to, if you will, greed for the group. I mean, what's best for the group. Um, So I I like this business model a lot because of that.
1: Well, I, I think the the the, the regulatory uh, framework in which capitalism is is forced to operate in a democracy uh, also emphasizes a responsibility to a variety of stakeholders rather than just the shareholder. And so, uh, I wouldn't offer uh, a critique of the capitalist model as somehow anti-social responsibility, as it works itself out for many in that sector, uh, one sees that kind of selfishness and greed you talk about. But in its ideal sense, it is possible for capitalism to have a kind of an ethic uh, in which one asks, uh, what is good for all of our stakeholders? Uh, I, I worked, as you know, for 10 years at Cummins Engine Company, And uh, uh, one of the responsibilities I had was to work with management to make sure that we were meeting our responsibilities uh, to the community as well as to the worker. And Mm -hmm. so it is possible to have a capitalistic model that is concerned about, as I say, all of the stakeholders. Uh, It is true that many examples that, and I'm sure you can cite many, uh, seems to be limited in that regard, but it is possible to have such a model.
0: Well, you know, that's one of the reasons I think you were probably uh, drawn to Cummings Indian Company, and so was I, is that because it had a vision of the world for, for all people. It was, it was, uh, and it had social responsibility as key and in it's, and it's, and what it did from day to day
1: around the world. Yeah. Um, we, we were asking not just the question, what does it mean to be effective? What does it mean to be efficient in a traditional uh, sense? But what does it mean to be responsible? And, and responsible uh, responsibility for us started with the uh, decision to do business uh, where you locate a plant. Uh, well, we,
0: we're going to take that you, responsibility up, uh, Jim right when we come back. Sorry about that, but we've got to step right away. We'll be right back.
1: 1450
0: W O L. You know, information is power. This is Vernon Oaks. We're talking um, about cooperation, uh, building community. The National Cooperative Bank sponsors this program to give you the benefits of cooperatives, which is a business model, but we're talking about Ubuntu, which is a philosophy, a way of being in Southern Africa, and Mr. Jim Joseph is our guest. He was the ambassador to South Africa when Mr. Mandela was president. He has a long history of social activism, and we were talking about um, this whole concept of doing things for self or making decisions uh, too often in the capitalistic U.S. model is doing things for self, where in Ubuntu is the obligation to community, obligation to the group. So, Jim, um, how has this Ubuntu changed your world?
1: Well, uh, I have... Uh, I, I said earlier when we were talking that uh, my graduate work was in ethics, and uh, I have always felt that I had an obligation to infuse values or integrate values into whether, whatever work I was doing, whether it was in business, government, or civil society. when he talked about loving the enemy, which was a Christian concept. But in Ubuntu, you have this notion that uh, it is in our self-interest uh, to forgive. It is in our self-interest to be reconciled. It's more than just a moral imperative. Uh, so Mandela understood that uh, forgiveness was in, 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 in the self-interest of individuals as well as the, the, the nation— and, and and when you look at concrete examples, it enabled Mandela to invite his jailers, the warden from the prison in which he had served, to his inauguration. Uh, it led him to set up a, a Truth and Reconciliation Commission uh, to provide uh, amnesty for the perpetrators of gross human rights violation. Uh, and, and finally, I, and I think it's important to understand that, It it led him to stand up for his values, but also enabled him to be a practical man who knew when and how to compromise on strategies. (laughs) Uh, I, I always like to say that he could have stood for absolutes and pleased his conscience, but accomplished nothing for his constituents. And so he stood for the values of Ubuntu but he was willing to negotiate and compromise on the strategies for implementing those values. So, so in
0: a sense, he was being selfish.
1: Well, I, I, I selfish is, is, is a, is a hard word okay. <laughs> and I mean that he understood that this was a, a place for the congruence of both self-interest and public interest See, and I, I, selfishness focuses primarily on self-interest. Okay. Here, there was this fusion of self-interest and public interest.
0: Well, I, I guess I was going to use the word. This is the wrong word for the real reason you just gave the definition to. But it's like when you're helping somebody else, when you forgive, when you when you when you have somebody that has hurt, hurt as much as he has hurt, he was hurt. When he can forgive them, it helps himself. It takes the hatred out of his being, so that it does, he doesn't get corroded. He doesn't um, get warped in a way, in a sense. And that's what I was using that term, but it's the wrong right. term.
1: And, and and of course, uh, I just objected to the use of the word mm-hmm. selfish because mm-hmm. I I really. As I said, I think that's a stronger term than balancing self-interest and public interest, which is really what uh, I I like to talk about and what I think uh, Mandela had in mind. Uh, But uh, uh, the point is, is that who he was and how he conducted his private life, as well as how he conducted the public business of the democracy, uh, was infused and grounded and um, that concept of Ubuntu.
0: Well, you know, one of the reasons I brought that up is because in my walk, and uh, Jim, I'll turn sixty-seven next month. Um, I know you've got a couple years on me, but I, I, have found that getting into Christianity, getting to the church, studying the Bible, you, you find that there are things that are just sort of not not just automatic. They're like, for instance, if if I decided that you have a tie on that I want. When I was a kid, I thought if I just took that tie, I would be better off. If I just somehow stole that tie from you and I got the tie now and you don't, then you're worse off and I'm better off. But not understanding that there's a conscious and there's a, there's a spiritual world and, and that in that world, you're not better off. The same thing is if somebody hurts me and Jesus says, somebody hits you, you turn the other cheek. And that's just not intuitive because if somebody hits me, I want to hit them back, and particularly when I was a kid or younger man, if somebody did imprison me, I would want to imprison them. Uh, and, and to get to the place where you understand that, and Ubuntu is what we're talking about, but when somebody hits you, you're better off forgiving them, and if anything, doing something good for them as opposed to doing something bad for them, you end up being better off. That's just not intuitive.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I I think the, the example you use... Uh, is a good reminder of the distinction between hard power and soft power. Uh, Hard hard power may uh, lead to immediate relief, but soft power may be far more enduring. And so one has to ask, what is the goal you're trying to accomplish? Uh, I mean, people are very quick and ready to turn to and emphasize uh, hard power. And whether that's in public life where you're talking about military might and economic muscle, or whether that's in private management or just the way you conduct your life as a person, uh, it is clear that soft power, uh, the emphasis on forgiveness, uh, reconciliation, uh, uh, nonviolence, uh, is likely to be more enduring. More, more enduring. Uh, and, and it is because it is in what many ways most seductive in what Mandela was, uh, what he had in great uh, supply, or was the ability to seduce the adversary <laughs> into liking him. And that's a, a, a really big weapon in trying to uh, uh, gain an advantage or to try to get the adversary to
0: community. <laughs> and he was well known for that, except when in his depth, if you listen to the commentaries, they try to decide if he was
1: angry or not, and some said he really was, but he didn't let that rule him. He- well, I mean, he, he was human, mm-hmm. and in and, and, and all of us, there is this, this capacity for anger, and it's not that you don't get angry, but that you've learned to manage that anger so that you, you use it in productive ways. It is something that can be done. And the concern even in making profits is not just in making profits, but how profits are made becomes a question of responsibility as well. And so I just wanted to go back and reiterate that point that it is possible for a business corporation to be responsible.
0: Well, we can shout out for Cummins because it has been responsible and it As far as I know, still is in all of those aspects that you're talking about. But the thing with the cooperative business model is that it's normally born out of solving some community problem. And because the workers in a lot of cases own the business, that they are they will do things that's responsible for the workers and they get that if they provide a good product or service, they're doing things that's good for the community. And most of the co-ops that I know and have talked to on this program and other places have uh, – the, the, the fifth or sixth principle of co-ops is concern for the community and working cooperatively with other co-ops. So it, it has in its DA that automatic social responsibility. It doesn't necessarily need an organization or a group or a division to sort of help it, where too often – and I don't know how Hello. often, too often it I is, 5% of the time, 10% percent of the time or more, where there's this it's struggle between making a profit system. and doing what's actions? responsible, that it takes money off the bottom line and perhaps do the live responsible things. The and
1: and match, I suggest too often to those in that lead will make in, the, the decision that's best for the individual and not for the group. Get the gear. Well, uh, people like to think of being responsible as taking money off the bottom line. Uh, I think it contributes to the bottom line. Okay. It, it is a part of the bottom line when it's infused into the company in relate, its relationship to all of its stakeholders, as I have been describing it, that the company is likely to be more profitable precisely because it is responsible. <laughs>
0: You know it i uh, I really wish i I love that concept, and sure. I believe it also is <laughs> getting people to operate with with that knowledge uh, and getting perhaps business schools to teach that uh, I'm not sure that I got that yeah got well it's, it.
1: it's a deeper problem in the society <laughs> that is just deeper than what is taught uh, about cooperatives there, there's a tendency to over romanticize the role of private individuals and to de-emphasize the role of cooperative endeavors in the, in the building of private wealth and even in promoting uh, private work. And so it's a societal problem. We, we We seem somehow to forget that it was public resources, for example, that helped create wealth for many who now insist that poverty should be addressed primarily through private compassion. Uh, it's uh, reliably estimated that uh, America's uh, broad-based middle class accumulated as much uh, as two-thirds of its wealth through uh, home ownership enabled more by federal action than by what now uh, some romanticize as private thrift. And so we have, when we look at the uh, American uh, narrative, uh, there is this myth of individualism, without understanding that our real history was shaped by both the private initiatives of individuals and the cooperative endeavors of the community. Community. And so it's not either or. It is a kind of individualism that you find in Ubuntu, which is in the context of community, rather than something that is totally different from the communitarian tradition.
0: Don't touch the dial. We'll be right back. And, Jim, our hour is almost gone. We have one more segment. We'll be right back with Jim Joseph. News updates on the web at WOLDCnews.com. This is Vernon Oaks talking to you about cooperatives and the benefits of cooperatives. We have Mr. Jim Joseph on the line with us. And, Jim, you're talking about the myth of individualism uh, in in America, and the role of community, and how both are necessary. Um, but I'd like for you to go back and talk a little bit more about how the in the American tax system, we get a, we get a chance to write off the interest, and, and the government ends up help paying for the house that individual house or condominium. But but um, then people say that giving welfare uh, could be bad or wrong or something, and that people don't don't need it or shouldn't give it. So can you talk a little bit more about this resources, how they're used to the, the, create income, but also assets, uh, particular uh, the middle class in a
1: home ownership? Right. Uh, the thing about it is, is it, income helps you to get along, but you need assets to get ahead. Yeah. And so what the focus is too often on is just enabling people to just get along. Uh, and that has certainly been true in low-income communities. And they never really had an opportunity uh, to build assets. And that is because of this myth of individualism. Uh, we, When we look at uh, American history, we realize that uh, it was public subsidies that gave uh, a head start to many people who now have wealth. Uh, and that could be in terms
0: of the farmers, the railroad barons.
1: That's that's right. The 19th Century Homestead Act, the Fe- Federal Housing Administration okay. loans, land and water subsidy, the GI Bill, and, of course, the use of the tax codes to subsidize home ownership, property, and wealth. It's interesting to note that Uh, People who got their start through subsidy from public resources are are the first to to say that we should not provide subsidy for the poor. Uh, They they disparage the subsidy for the poor by calling it welfare while the welfare that gave them that they call subsidy. And so we need a kind of new language uh, which really talks about how how wealth was created in this country.
0: There was a study done of a, of a housing co-op in Atlanta and, um, one called Wildwood, and it's been in existence for 40 years, and how people have created not only financial wealth, uh, and, and, and these people, it's affordable housing, HUD g- uh, gave the money, to, but the money's been paid off, which is very interesting. And um, so the, mon- the government got its money back. But these people, they, they said they at a 7.1% return on their investment. It could be $1,000, $500 investment. But today, because the people that live there make their own decisions – and their owners, they take better care of the property, so maintenance is not a high, as high. And because of they don't have the return on investment, that 10%, 12 18% that somebody gets, so that there have not been these increases in the, the rents, if you will, so that the, the, the uh, rent is $500 a month for a two-bedroom in this place in Atlanta. But uh, down the street, it would be seven dollars to $800 a month. So it seemed like they're creating wealth. They're creating social wealth uh, because they end up learning how to live together, work together, um, how to – when they have differences, which if you have two people together in a marriage, you have differences. If you have 250, as they do in this place, they're definitely different. But how do you resolve those differences and work together to make decisions best for everybody? It just seems to be a win-win, but I can't get the government. HUD is giving their money to apartment buildings now, not to co-ops. So it's how to change this notion that you're talking about, this myth of individualism and welfare is bad and so forth.
1: Well, uh, our public policy has not caught up with our ideals here because I think uh, uh, lots of people, a lot of people talk about the, the tradition of, of community. Uh, but uh, what we hear most about is the, the myth of the individualism and the sort of Lone Ranger heroes and the notion that I, I did it myself. Uh, and there was no one else involved and when you look at uh, the history you find that lots of others were involved and uh, lots of public resources Uh, which is uh, really based on what the, the reality of our past, rather than the myths about our past. Yeah,
0: and I and I really like that in South Africa they they put Ubuntu, and it's always been in their culture, but they it's in in their you said in their constitution now.
1: Yeah, well, the notion of um, South Africa belongs to all who live in it. Uh, that's a radical idea of citizenship. And uh, it is one that uh, we, we can learn from South Africa about. Now, you know, I don't want to over romanticize the concept of Ubuntu because in its ideal form, one founded in the early revolutionaries who provided the first generation of leadership for the country. But uh, many of the Western people are more focused on the Western notion of, I think, therefore I am, rather than I am because you are. And so that uh, I hope the ideal remains and more people try to integrate it into what they do. But the reality is that those advocates of uh, Ubuntu uh, uh, are passing away. Thanks a lot, buddy. Okay. We'll be back next Thursday. Bye now.
0: News updates on the web at WOLDCnews.com.